Welcome. Welcome to Pillar Church of Oceanside. My name is Trace, one of the pastors here. Glad you're with us on this warm January morning. <clears throat> Anybody wanting to complain about the warmth? Anybody? Raise your hand real high so we can all point and laugh at you. Okay. Usually out-of-towners are like, man, this is so dumb, California, it's wintertime. I grew up here, so I love it. This is it, man. This is what we pay for, my friends. This is it. The fact that we can be out here in the middle of January and uncomfortable, perhaps, <laughs> because it's so warm. So as we get um, into our message this morning, I just want to follow up. You know, last week, uh, Christy and I were up at um, Hyung Lee's church up in Pasadena. I got an opportunity to preach up there, but I know that Mike had offered a, a challenge, an I will statement, if you will, um, to memorize another passage of scripture. And so John John 1.1 1, 1 is what he initiated, I think, is what he said. John 1.1, 1, 1, and they kind of expanded it. Like, if you want to go for the whole thing and, re, and, and memorize John 1.1 1, 1 through 5, then that's sort of the next level thing. So um, just, just by show of hands, anybody able to memorize John 1.1? 1, 1? A couple of hands go up. Anybody go for the full one through five? Get that. Okay, a couple more hands. Awesome. Um, that's great. And that, that's what this is all about, really. It's, it's that opportunity to, to want to do something with what we're being exposed to, if you will, every week. And so um, I'd encourage you, if you're one of those ones that did put in the time to memorize, maybe ask some others and see if they were able to do it as well and be an encouragement to them um, because... Man, there's so much depth and so much that we, I think, leave untapped in the Word of God. So um, definitely want to encourage you to do that um, as we go. So if you have your Bible, you can flip over to John 1. John 1 is where we'll continue. We'll, We'll go to the end of the chapter this morning. We'll get to that in just a minute. But as you're flipping there, I want to just kind of lay out for you what the overarching theme of the passage is this morning. And that is this. Being a disciple of Jesus reveals certain behavior. So if you are a disciple of Jesus, there are going to be certain things about you and about your life and about your priorities that get exposed to the world around you, those that are observing and watching. And so um, let's read our passage. We're going we're gonna to divide it into two sections this morning. We're going to take uh, the first couple of verses together, and then we'll, we'll talk on that, and then we'll get back into the remainder of the passage. So if you're with me in John 1, we're going to pick up in verse 35. I'm going to read down to verse 42. So this is the Word of God. John 1, starting in verse 35. The next day, Again, John, that is John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. For it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means Christ. 
He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Okay, so let's pause there. Let me offer a word in prayer, and then we'll we'll get uh, we'll get into the text. So, Lord, again, we pause this morning, grateful for your faithfulness to us. Lord, your word says that, God, you are faithful even when, when we are not, and um, that your mercies never come to an end, that they're new every morning. And we're so grateful for the way in which you care for us, the way in which you love us, the way in which you equip us to do the work you've called us to. And, Father, as we look to your word this morning, let us remain um, steadfast in our devotion to you. Let us be moved by your word, Lord God, in a way that that compels us to action. Lord, your word is truth, your word is life, your word is hope. My prayer this morning, Lord, is that we experience all of those things, truth, life, and hope, moving us to action as a result of what we are exposed to in your word this morning. So help us, I pray. Set aside all distractions in our hearts and our minds and let us focus now on your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. That's what we got going on here. This is where we begin to say to Jesus, he's sort of gathering people around him, and he's uh, he's actually beginning to teach them in new and challenging ways. Um, John the Baptist, as we learned last week, was sort of the forerunner, and now he's essentially handing off the torch to Jesus, and some of his own disciples begin to follow Jesus. That's what we just read. Now, it may be that this particular passage of Scripture may not be like super exciting to you. Um, doesn't really seem of much consequence, really. It's like, all right, a couple of dudes are following Jesus. I mean, cool, that's great, but you know, what's the big deal? Well, I'd argue that there's a lot more going on here than just what meets the eye. And, and I don't believe we're going to have to look really that deep to uncover some significant truths this morning about Jesus and his disciples. So let me just ask... Um, how many, dis- how many disciples of Jesus do we have in the crowd with us? I'm just show of hands. How many disciples of Jesus? Just raise your hand so I can know. I know it sounds like a weird thing, but I just, just want to know. That. Okay. So if I were to ask you to give me some words that describe what a disciple of Jesus is, what would some of those words be? Follower. Follower. Good. What else? Learner. Learner. Teacher. Teacher. Influencer. Any other words come to mind of what a disciple is? Messenger. Okay. Well, the reason I ask is because, as we're about to find out, we need to know what it is that we're doing and why we're doing it. So let's hit that why question first. Why? Why what? Well, we get there. So these two men, in verse 37, they depart from John the Baptist. Right? They, they were teaching, they were following his teaching, and now all of a sudden they're following Jesus. And Jesus asks them a very interesting question. So imagine this. You're standing there, and you hear John the Baptist again say, the Lamb of God, pointing at Jesus. Right? In that moment, that happens. And something happens inside of you to the point where you literally beginning to follow after Jesus. And so, now Jesus is walking, and he's got these two guys walking behind him. He sort of looks over his shoulder, sees that there's two guys tailing him, which leads to two very profound actions. Now, the first one, it may not be really evident to any of us at all, because 
we don't have that Jewish heritage or background. But, but the mere act and language of Jesus turning toward his disciples and following him is actually very monumental. So remember at this point, Israel is desperately waiting for their Messiah. They're waiting to be rescued. They've been waiting for years and years and years and years for their Messiah to come. And so the Old Testament is actually, it's filled with examples of God turning towards his people and his people turning toward him as a sign of the return of him to them. Psalm 93, or 90, 13 rather, gives us sort of a, a really quick snapshot of this. Psalm 90, 13 says, Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. And so the word return is that word of God turning back to his people. So one scholar, as I was studying it out this week, he knows this. He says, the implication then is that the moment the two Israelites turned from John the Baptist toward Jesus, he turned toward them, toward his people, answering the long-standing prayers echoed throughout the Psalms and redeeming the promise made in Zechariah and Malachi at the end of the Old Testament. So, so what a moment we have captured for us here in John chapter 1. In a single movement, we see signify the launch of God's rescue to his people. Now, how many of you read Jesus turning and, and caught all of that significance? It's very symbolic, but it's very powerful. Like this is what is represented in Jesus turning. He's saying, I'm back. I'm here for your people. So that's the first thing. Then the second thing is an immediate question that follows from Jesus to these people. What are you seeking? That's that's the very first words out of his mouth. What are you seeking? Now, it might seem like a, a bit of an odd question. Why, why are you asking that question? But at the very core, Jesus cuts to the matter. He cuts to the heart of the matter, I should say, in asking, what is it that you hope to find as you're following me? As you too, right now, you're following me, what is it that you're after? What is it you're trying to find? And so this question is actually a question that every single one of us here needs to ask of ourselves as well. Why are you following Jesus? And a deeper way of asking that question would be, what is it that you want out of life as a result of following Jesus? It's not just so much like, hey, casually asking, what do you want? No, what about following Jesus and dedicating your life to him? What are you hoping to gain as a result? And he's, Jesus is going to ask this same question two more times in John as we go through it. In John 18 and John 20, both at very pivotal, crucial moments in the narrative. So we must ask ourselves the same question. Church, what are you after in all this? <laughs> what are you seeking? Well, let's check out the response of these two guys first. Which, by the way, we know who one of them is. Who is, who is the one that is named that turned and followed Jesus? Just look down there. We just read it. Andrew. Okay. We've got Andrew. We know for sure that he's one of the followers. But who's the other one? Who's, who's the other one, according to what we just read? What does it say? The answer is, it doesn't say. It doesn't say who the initial second disciple is. We see that one of them is Andrew, who is the brother of Simon Peter, but it doesn't tell us who the second one is. I heard some people yell, John. And a lot of scholars would agree with you. Um, 
based on a couple of things, the language, but, but specifically how much detail is included in what uh, this disciple is talking about, the time, you know, what exactly took place. A lot of people would agree with you that it is John, the, the author of this particular book. Um, so I'm just going to go with John. It's John and it's Andrew. But their response is great. Here's Jesus, God incarnate, coming before them and says, what is it that you seek? And I picture them just sort of kind of nervously looking at each other and not really sure how to respond. And, and their response is, is awesome. It's, um, where, where, where are you staying? <clears throat> where, where, where do you live? <laughs> oh, great, great response. What are you seeking that God of the universe asks you? And your response is, hey, man, where do where you live? <laughs> you got a place around here? You from around here? That's, that's my interpretation anyway. Um, I don't know how you took that answer. But it seems like they're caught off guard. And they're really unsure how to answer. Uh, but that's not the case at all. Because look at verse 38. How do they address Jesus? Rabbi. Which means what? Teacher. This is not an arbitrary title. So by this time, the responsibility of spiritual leadership and care of, the, of God's people, it's in the hands of people who are referred to as rabbi. It's a, it's a term and a title and a way of showing tremendous honor to a teacher who you have now submitted to. You've come under their authority. That's what's represented in that title. It's very significant. So in asking, where are you staying? They were actually answering his question. You see, they're looking for someone to follow. They were already following John. And they want to go where he is staying because Jesus is now their leader. He's their teacher. So if you worded the question differently, they, they asked, to where are you leading us? They didn't really care where his, his pillow was at night. That's not what they were after. They're saying, wherever you are, that's where we're going to be. Wherever you go, that's where we will remain. And that's exactly what happened. So Jesus answers him. You want to know where I'm going? Come and you will see. So simple couple of words here, but this is another massive declaration by Jesus. And it's actually the first statement in John's gospel account. The first was a question. He's asking, what are you seeking? Now we have the first statement. Come and you will see. And this actually serves as a framework, my friends. For the Christian church. It may not seem like much, but let's get into this. Now, come and you will see is not referring to that very ineffective evangelism model of you going out and saying, hey, everybody, come to church and see what Jesus is all about. Okay, that, that's not the come and see that we're talking about here because we've, we've learned over the years that that model, <laughs> it doesn't work. People don't generally come and see. This actually informs our entire Christian life. And it's a critical part of being a disciple. So let me just share some thoughts from a, a very smart man, much smarter than I, named Edward Clink. This is what he says. To come and see is not to have arrived, but to be in a posture of discipleship. It is to be at a place where one can view Jesus at all times and where one has access to God through Christ. Come and see is not a completed task, but a constant striving of a Christian. Come and see is a conviction held by an interested follower or a new believer when their spiritual life is just beginning. It's also a conviction held firmly at the end of one's life 
when their earthly life is near completion. It serves as a summary of what it means to be Christ-centered. You see, only only a disciple of Jesus who has actually come and seen will be able to truly see. That's what these two men were after. They declared as the Messiah. They said, this is the Messiah. We found him. And they're ready to follow him now and forever. And so they went with him. They saw where he was staying and they stayed because they were all in. And, and church, they probably didn't fully realize what it meant at that point to be all in, but they were. Why? Because they saw in Jesus their purpose in life. And that was to be his disciple. So he said, what are you seeking? And come and see. He said, I'm going to be in proximity to you every day of my life. As long as I have breath in my lungs, I will be in proximity to you, Christ. And I will come and see and be your disciple. So that's going to lead us then to the next question today. And that is, what is a disciple? I had most of the hands go up when I ask if there are any disciples here with us today. But the reality is there's, there's really a broad spectrum on which um, somebody can be considered a disciple. Everything from a casual listener to a devoted follower. Someone who's maybe just a little bit curious to a person that has fully committed their life to Jesus. And the word simply defined, anybody want to throw out the simplest definition of disciple? Somebody said it earlier. What is it? Learner, student, that, that encompasses part of the, the overall idea. Starts with an F. Follower. Yeah, follower. <clears throat> Is that you, Audrey, I said it earlier? Yeah, good job. Congratulations. She read my notes. She read your notes? Yeah, <clears throat> I doubt it. <clears throat> the word simply defined means follower. And so we know, if, if you've read through the New Testament at all, especially the Gospels, that Jesus had a variety of followers. Some believed him every word that he said, and some were just in proximity to him as he was teaching, but they were all called disciples. It's important to realize, church, that being a disciple of Jesus has come to mean something the Bible never teaches. Now, this may upset some people. I don't think anybody here, but some people who are entrenched in churchdom in life and speak in Christianese and they're just they don't know how to break out of that so here's the thing as a church in America we want things to be clear cut and very simple especially when it comes to discipleship but the reality is that's just not practical so as many people understand it a disciple of Jesus is someone who is they're repenting, they're believing in Jesus, they've given their life to the Lord. They've made that step, and now they're a follower of Jesus. And that's true. I think you'd all agree with me in that. But that's only one spot on the spectrum of what a disciple is. And so if a disciple is a follower, then hopefully we can all agree that there are varying degrees of followership, right? We don't all follow Jesus the same way. We don't all live our lives as followers of Jesus identically. It has to do with how long we've been following him. Whether or not we actually have given our life to him. So many factors that determine our degree of followership. So let me give you an illustration. It's an imperfect one, but I think I'll make my point. Um, how many of you here 
pay any attention at all in any shape or form to the NFL, National Football League. Just raise your hand. Any shape or form whatsoever. And some of you are like, eh, I'm not really sure. And, and hopefully by the end of this, you'll, you'll understand where I'm going with that. So followers of the NFL, stick with me now, range from somebody who is maybe flipping through the channels and the game's on and they, they pause to watch a couple of plays. They're not fully invested, but they're like, okay. And then they keep flipping through the channels. That's a follower of the NFL. All the way to somebody who has season tickets. That's a, that's a, a broad scope of people, right? And generally speaking, there, there's a progression to how you get there, right? Usually first purchase of tickets for the average person isn't to the Super Bowl. Like you're going to throw away a couple of grand just to go watch that. No, you get introduced to the game, right? Maybe you, you, you learn to appreciate and love the sport. And some people even become diehard fans. Now, some people inside the NFL world may argue that, that you're not a true follower of the NFL if you, if you don't watch every game or if you don't have some statistics memorized, or know who the people are on the field, regardless of what they may say, all that I describe are followers of, of, of the NFL. And football has had some degree of impact on their lives. And so there's, there's a wide spectrum, a wide range that we're talking about here. Let me ask you this. Does someone's level of commitment to the sport of football qualify or disqualify them as a follower of the NFL? No, not in the broadest terms as I have explained it. But we have in our mind that, well, if I'm a follower of the NFL, that means that I am a diehard fan and I am all in. And that's just not the case. I used to be that. I'm not anymore. I'm a casual follower now. I'll flip on and maybe check the scores because I'm curious. But, you know, it doesn't really have a, a major impact. But in some place in the back of my mind, I'm wondering what's going on. <laughs> And so I pause and I check it out. I would still call myself a follower of the NFL, but I am not fully engaged. My point is that we've made the mistake of drawing a line that the Bible never makes. A disciple of Jesus is anyone on the spectrum of interest in Jesus. You see, we actually disciple people into a relationship with Jesus. There's no clear distinction between discipleship and evangelism. They work together. They coexist, but we've made them two different things. The moment you begin to share your life with an unbeliever and introduce them to Jesus, they become disciples. How many of you have thought of, of discipleship in that way? None of us do because that's not what we're taught. But the moment you expose somebody to the teachings of Jesus, they become a disciple. Now, will everybody in that category remain disciples? No. Go and read John 6, 66. And tell me what you think about that. Not right now. You, don't, you can go. Write it down and I'll read it later. But essentially, we see people in John 6 described as disciples who hear Jesus' teaching struggle to believe it because it's difficult, and then walk away. But they're called disciples because they're interested and they're following Jesus in that moment. But I think maybe that's why we've added such um, concrete definitions of what a disciple is so that we help ourselves not to be confused. Like, are you a disciple? Are you a, are you a real disciple? Like, so we, we make up these, you know, kind of categories 
for people. But you see what I mean about a different approach altogether than we have been taught when it comes to what a disciple is? And here's the deal. With this shift in definition, the game changes for everyone, especially for the mature Christian, because instantly everyone is a disciple maker. Every Christian is a disciple maker. Every disciple is a disciple maker. And we don't want to carry that label, a lot of us. I'm not saying us, I'm saying us as a church in America. Now, having said all that, if we're actually going to do what Jesus commanded us to do, which is to make disciples of all nations, right? We made that Matthew 28. Let me uh, make an attempt to outline some key characteristics. Let me just aim to um, lay out for us things that we ought to be trying to cultivate in ourselves and trying to reproduce in others as we carry out the Great Commission. So I believe there are a lot of characteristics, a lot of things that we can put in this category. But I'm going I'm to focus on three characteristics for disciples of Jesus that are necessary to achieve the work set before us. Three things. You ready? Obedience. Representation. And multiplication. And we see these things again and again in the New Testament. All of them contributing to the Great Commission. Somebody agrees. John 8, 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in, if you obey my word, you are truly my disciples. Obedience. There it is. We've got to be obedient. 2 Corinthians 5.20 Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? A representative. We are the representatives, the ambassadors for Jesus in this world. Continuing in 2 Corinthians 5.20 God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What happens when somebody is reconciled to God? We've got multiplication happening, right? Somebody else is added into the tribe of Jesus. And even in our short passage here that we've read so far, we see all three of these characteristics. Look at Andrew and John. First, Jesus tells them what? What's his first thing to tell them? Hey, follow me. And what do they do? They follow him. <laughs> they go without question. That looks like obedience to me. Then Andrew steps up as a representative of Jesus, and what does he do? He goes and finds who? He goes and finds his brother. He said, hey, brother, man, we found him. We found the Messiah. And Andrew brings his brother Simon to Jesus, and he becomes a disciple of Jesus. That's spiritual multiplication. Now, that may seem oversimplified, but I think, church, that's another problem that we have is that we make discipleship too complicated. If there was a, a starting point, sort of a jumping off point, if you could say, like, if I could just do this, I know that I would be a disciple who makes disciples. And that would be this. We bring people into contact with Jesus. That's it. The disciple who makes disciples brings people into contact with Jesus. Now, for the 12 disciples in the gospel, 
they were literally bringing people into contact with Jesus, with God incarnate, right? And for us, how do we bring people into contact with Jesus today? Through his word. Thank you, Audrey, two for two. We're going to get into that as we unpack our study through John and as we learn to equip you and ourselves to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus more effectively. But let's finish this part of the text, and then we're going to briefly look at the next section. But Jesus and Peter have this very interesting interaction, right, in verse 42. So Peter's name is less about the change in the moment and more about the fact that Jesus knows people thoroughly and he makes them into what he calls them to be. So in that moment that Jesus locks eyes with Andrew's brother Simon, he sees the future leader of the church in Jerusalem. That's who he sees. And he says, you will be Cephas. You will be Peter. You will be the rock. And aren't you glad that Jesus looks at every one of us and sees what we will become in him? That's huge. That's life-changing, church. You've got to recognize what's happening in this moment. Jesus sees through who we're trying to be, this fake facade that we try to put on for the world, even for each other. And he says, no, this is who you will be. That's what's happening in this moment. And I'm so grateful that he sees us in that way. Go back to John 1. We'll briefly look at this next paragraph. There's some things that we need to hit real quickly, but if I can find it. John chapter 1. Picking up in verse 43 then. Are you there? Cool. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him who Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said to him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So do you notice any similarities between that second paragraph we just read and the first paragraph? Hopefully you see a lot of similarities. We have another disciple that is found. This time it's Philip. And what does Philip immediately do once he begins following Jesus? He goes out, and who does he find? Finds Nathaniel. So there he goes out. He's obedient. He's going out. He's a representative, and he's finding Nathaniel, he tells him about Jesus, and then he brings Nathaniel into contact with Jesus. Another disciple added to the group. That's spiritual multiplication. But what do we see in Nathaniel this time? He doesn't just go full in. He's a little bit skeptical, right? He's on his way to meet Jesus, and he's questioning, hey, is anything really good going to come out of Nazareth? I mean, come on. I mean, is, is this really the Messiah? Is this really who you, you're telling me it is? Which leads to another interesting exchange between Jesus and his newest disciple. So, once again, Jesus sees this man as he truly is. Having ne never met him, he calls him a true 
Israelite. What Jesus is essentially saying in these verses is that he knew both Nathanael's physical location under the fig tree and his spiritual location. He knew who he was at the heart of him. Jesus knew this man in an intimate and unique way. And as a result, Nathanael's now convinced, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And I should note that all of these terms and all these titles that are being thrown around are all Old Testament illusions. So you can go back and read those things. But <clears throat> so much overlap from that first paragraph. You see a pattern that's being established. And we are to follow in that pattern. And so the passage closes with Jesus informing them that it's like, hey, you, you think that was impressive? You think me seeing you under the tree was a big deal? You just wait. <laughs> just wait and see. In fact, he says, what? Come and see. Right? Okay, so here's the last question that I'll ask you in light of our message so far. It's in two parts. Having looked at everything and talked everything down, are you a disciple? And if so, what are you going to do about it? Are you a disciple? And if so, what are you going to do about it? Because we know now that being a disciple of Jesus can be a broad categorization, right? But at least three three things should be important to you. <laughs> Obedience, being a representative of Jesus, and spiritual multiplication, that is, making disciples. So even if you're not exactly sure what those things look like, practically speaking, in your own life, your goal is at least to move in that direction. Like, I see now the pattern that's laid out for me. I know what my responsibilities are. I want to start moving in that direction, even though I'm not really sure or convinced, or maybe not even a follower of Jesus in terms of the way that we would describe it in the church today as, I'm a repentant, believing Christian. Maybe you're just still curious, but you're here. And so you're in this category as well. At the end of the day, your life is increasingly marked by a desire to introduce people to Jesus. And if that's you, then what's next? So this is what we'll call the so what I will moment. The so what I will moment. So we've come to the end of the message, and there should be a huge question mark in everybody's mind at this point. In light of everything the past has just showed us and everything that we've learned has been exposed to our hearts, so what? In other words, what is your response to this? Enter in the I will statement that we've been talking about. Because, because God has revealed this to me, I will fill in the blank. So we've been kind of giving you examples or, or ways to maybe start down this path. Here's one response. Here's one potential I will. Knowing that a disciple of Jesus begins discipling by introducing others to Jesus, here's something you could do. You could learn and share a story from the Bible with someone. It can be a short story. It could be one that maybe has had some impact on your life or just one that you feel like would be a good introduction of Jesus. And I can give you some ideas on what some of those stories might be. But I think if you flip through the Gospels, you'll find one pretty quickly. Like, oh yeah, that's that's a familiar story. That's a great story. So you learn it in a way that you're able to share it with somebody else as a way of introducing them to Jesus. You see that that much of the discipleship process, my friends, is done through self-discovery. That's why we're focusing so much effort on equipping you to feed yourselves. 
Because this idea of accumulation of knowledge, like me and Mike and Mark are going to come up here and just feed you a bunch of knowledge, that's not what discipleship is about. That's not what discipleship making is about. It's about you looking in the Word and God bringing it to life and exposing something in you and bringing change. That's self-discovery through the Word of God. That's discipleship, and that's all that we're helping people to do. So as we're sharing them this story about Jesus, we can ask them some questions to get them to consider, what is this saying about God? What is this saying about us? What does this mean for us? Is there any implications to that? Now, if this sounds simplistic, that's because it is. And it's how Jesus did things. If you go and look through the vast record that we have of Jesus' interactions, they're largely based in him telling stories and asking questions. Some would say upwards of 80% of Jesus' interactions with people is him telling stories and asking questions. What a great model for us to follow after. So let me close with a shameful plug because this is what our Wednesday Night Life Group is going to be doing. Wednesday Night Life Group's are going to be reading the Bible together and we're going to be considering how to expose other people, introduce them to Jesus. And we're going to do it together. And that's what it's going to be. Shameful plug, I know. Sorry. You can go to Mike's group. And it's going to be fantastic. They're actually going to be sermon-based. So you're just going to keep talking about the things that we've learned. And there's so much more that's here. that Mike is going to walk you through that. But let me close by asking you one more time. What are you seeking? What is it that you hope to find as you're following Jesus? What is a disciple? What's your main goal in being a disciple of Jesus? And then, are you a disciple? And if so, what are you going to do about it? All right, let's pray. Lord, we we pause now to say thank you. Thank you for exposing in our hearts just the clear direction that we have, the clear order of things. God, none of this is by mistake. None of it is is just the way that it happened 2,000 years ago. No, Lord, this is your design for us. This is your way of transforming lost hearts to become your followers. Lord, it's simple. It doesn't mean it's easy. It is a challenge for us because... We have a fear of men. We have a fear of being rejected. We have all these excuses and reasons why we don't want to do this, Lord. But, but the, the, the strategy, the, the way in which we are to do it is simple. We introduce people and bring them into contact with Jesus. And the Holy Spirit does the real work, does the real heavy lifting, does the real transformation. But our our role in this process, Lord, is clear. And we want to do that. We want to be a part of that process. We want to be obedient to your word. We want to be your ambassadors. We want to be representatives in this world. And we want to see people following after you. That's why we're here, Lord. That's The last thing you told us was to go and make disciples. Your final words to us on this earth was go and introduce people to me and see that they start following me. And as they do that, Lord, we know that we can we can create an environment 
here at Pillar Church that welcomes people in, welcomes people who are curious, people who are devout Christians, people who are all over that spectrum, and we can do life together, and we can motivate and encourage each other to continue to go out and see people exposed to the truth of the gospel. And it's not as difficult as we make it to be, Lord. So help us to simplify it and come up with a plan and a way in which we can do it in our own lives. Let us not remain unchanged by this message, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.